coming to you live from a sleigh ride together with you. I'm Johanna Stauffer, and with me, as always, are Horse Farts. And this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Episode 301, Yule Log, Cool Log. Welcome back to the Krusty Walrus Podcast. I'm Tom Rich. And I'm Johanna Stauffer. And we're so happy to have you here, uh, here in our podcastatorium, where we podcast from. Uh, yeah. So we're going to be talking today a little bit about uh, various sorts of walruses and the crusts that form on them. Um, you know, if you've been following us for a while, you'll know we've covered your main three types of walrus mm-hmm. and six of the seven types of crust that you'll find, including garlic and marinara. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to get into some more esoteric types of walruses today. Uh, pygmy, uh, uh, giant, mm-hmm. double giant. Right. Um, and if we've got time, and I'm not promising this, we may even get to not. Not, in, not walrus? Not walrus, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the sorts of crust you'll find on not walrus. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's it's a lot of ground to cover before we get there, so don't hold me to that. We may need to do that in another episode. I, I hear they, they recently discovered uh, a new crust on the um, Johnson's Arctic walrus, uh-huh. and uh, it's, it's a sort of... Uh, um, a spicy sriracha crust. Mm, okay. They hadn't seen that before on that particular breed of Arctic Yeah, I, I read that article in Walrus Monthly, too, mm-hmm. and it, it was surprising because the Johnson's Arctic Walrus, as you might expect, uh, lives primarily in Guatemala. Right. Uh, and we had previously seen the spicy sriracha crust only on the greater Norwegian forest walrus. Right. Uh, so it's, it's very odd to see the same crust on such a different species of walrus mm-hmm. um very interesting stuff that they're doing some great work trying to find uh, uh the connection between the two that would would cause that crust to manifest in the same places now tell me if if you get the same impression uh this is a this is by dr ernest blofelter mm-hmm. is the the researcher is do you find that blofelter leaps too quickly to, con- to conclusions based on this evidence like i feel like he's already halfway to a grand unified theory of walrus crust yeah and there's just not the data to back it up like he's got some interesting stuff he's got leads but i feel like he's jumping the gun i i, I agree i think he's 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 certainly progressive I, you know what is it two-thirds of walrus scientists aren't even sure whether any walrus crust is uh is is a problem or perhaps an evolutionary mm-hmm. uh, advantage that has developed over sure. over generations um they, they just don't know and uh blofelter he he does seem overconfident but at the same time he's way out there on the fringes doing things that no one else is doing and sometimes you got to be progressive to get things done in science you, you got to just go especially forward especially in and, walrus science yeah you just got to go forward and hope hope for the best really and i yeah. feel like i feel like a lot of guys uh coming out of uh the university of northern southern maine mm-hmm. Uh, like as Blofelter does, uh, are like that. I, I'm not sure what happens in that department that pushes those scientists in that direction, but they do all seem to really just go straight to the boundaries, and they don't 
Yeah, no, well, they I don't th- slow down at all. I think it could be because it's a newer school. In you know, in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things, it's maybe maybe a hundred years old, mm-hmm. and so they don't have the the they're not as steeped in walrus history. Mm-hmm. And they they don't have as much to get over in 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 uh, breakthroughs that have happened in walrus science in in previous years and previous centuries, even that mm-hmm. other uh, departments of walrus science you know might be mired in. Mm-hmm. Just the, you don't want to you don't want to step on the the toes of your of your heroes of walrus science. True, for the you, advancement of your own. But if you don't have those hangups, then you just go you for just it. Go, I guess. go do more things. No, I, I I this is a really interesting um, avenue to go down. I think we need to keep it in mind and explore it at a later date. But I do want to make sure we get to all of our subjects for tonight. So okay. let's let's just put that on the back burner for the moment. There was an interesting um, discovery recently indicating that early Arctic explorers mm-hmm. actually ate the walrus crust really for sustenance during the long arctic winters now i had previously thought that they didn't because they were scared of the tusks sure uh and because you can't shoot a walrus right that's known right like i mean well you're listening to the to a podcast about walruses of course i, you I know. think our listeners know. <laughs> i think that's safe i'm sorry that was that was a little condescending of me to assume you didn't know that but uh apparently they did actually somehow managed to eat the crust of the walrus. Um, well, they do theorize that some walri, uh, which is the plural, well, we don't need to condescend to our listeners as we've, <laughs> as we've, we've established, uh, some walri will shed their crust over time and grow a new crust. Now, that's very interesting because it had been previously thought that the crust was a one-time development, but we know now that's not true, and that just really goes to show you the dynamism of this field. Yeah, that it's it's just ever, always changing and always find out new and really quite fascinating things. Can you imagine it being up there on the ice, you know, the endless white expanses before you mm-hmm. and you see a walrus just flumping his way along, uh, you know, with his tusks and his flippers and yeah. his blubber. And then he just shimmies his shoulders a little bit and sheds an entire crust behind him. Yeah. And then you go up and yeah, it looks like two walry, but it's, right, it's just even, one and then. The, the crust sort of a, a shell and a, and and a, a spicy sriracha shell maybe maybe you got yeah. lucky and got one of those maybe it's just garlic either way it's Garlic's great not bad though. you know you can mm, it's good stuff uh and you know I'm, I'm really glad that our forefathers in arctic exploration got to have that experience before well, you they know, froze to death the, uh the early arctic explorers at first because of the long tusks thought that um a walrus may actually be a vampire Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that makes perfect sense. But but then they not shortly after, uh, no, shortly after, not long after, uh, encountered uh, a garlic encrusted walrus, which and and clearly not a vampire, garlic and vampires, and that's how they pieced that together. You know, that's that makes just, sense. It's it's interesting to think about stuff that seems so straightforward to us now were brand new discoveries for them back in you those know, and they had to make that connection, but it did lead. And I'm sure you're aware of this, but for our listeners, it did lead to some very interesting fiction during the early days before they made that connection. Uh, Henrietta Wadhams, mm-hmm. a, a novelist from that time, wrote a very, very, really quite engaging novel about Walrus Dracula. Yeah. Uh, who hopped around the streets of London, biting people on the neck, and they would become vampire walruses over mm-hmm. time. Uh, and you know, there's some there's some you know Victorian moralism in it and that kind of stuff, as you would expect. 
Uh, but it's really it's 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 quite interesting. Well, you know that's actually where the name walrus came from. Really, because the original pronunciation of vampire is vampire, and walrus has the same root. That's why they both have that W A sound at the front there. <laughs> I I didn't it's, know that. It's a uh, you know it's, it's language. It's a strange thing. Yeah. It's very it's a really quite strange thing. Well, we'll be right back with this episode of the Walrus Podcast, uh, but first, a, uh, a a brief interlude from the Mildly Alarming Podcast already in progress. Let's go to that. So that's what we're going to do today on uh, our, our special Christmas spectacular episode of the Mildly Alarming Podcast for 2016. Yeah. You great ready? To, great to have you all here. So here was what happened. Oh, uh, I was at a Christmas party today. Uh-huh. Christmas celebration. Is that how, is that the, the I, Latin I'm, pronunciation? I, I don't speak Portuguese. Fair enough. Uh, and we played an office Christmas game party. Game. Party. Yeah. Game. Dumb. Do, dumb, do. So what happened was we all stood around a table, all like 15 or 20 of us. This already sounds awful. However many there were. And there was a pair of dice. Uh-huh. And there was a big ball of saran wrap. Mm-hmm. Or what do you what do you call that in other countries? Is cling it, film. Cling film. Okay. Um, and inside the ball of cling film were various prizes at various layers. Stuff like candy or silly putty or gift cards. Botulism. Or a live botulism, rat. Well, it was a live a, rat. <laughs> a, uh, a little certificate for a day off. That kind of stuff. Oh, man. And so one person had the ball and was unpeeling it and working their way toward the prizes. I believe that would be peeling it. <laughs> Excellent point. And the person to that person's right had the dice and were just frantically rolling them as fast as they could, trying to roll a seven. As soon as you roll a seven, you pass the dice to your right and you take the whatever is left of the saran wrap ball. From the person on your left? Yeah, from the person who had it, because there's only one at this right. point. And then you start going and you just continue like that until the ball is gone. Uh-huh. However, once you get down to near the middle of the ball, there's actually two balls there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those um, in the listener area, yes, somebody made the two balls joke at that point. As God intended. In uh, in the most unsubtle stage whisper I have ever heard. Uh, and so then once the two balls appear, you start passing them in opposite directions and they go and there's a second set of dice that is pulled out of somebody's pocket. And then you've got two of them going at once. And the best prizes are, are of course, deeper in the, the, the ball. Rep, the ball. Neat. And so that was the game that we played. And as we were playing, I'm like, this is a fine, like, office party game. It's simple. Nobody is confused about what's happening. The stakes are low. You don't have to think too much. Everybody's laughing. Every so often, a hunk of chocolate comes flying out of this thing and sails across the room. It's fun. But could we make it a gamer's game? Yeah, so Tom explained this to me, and my my first response was, that's not a game. Maybe it's an activity, but it's not a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely an activity, more an activity than a game. But what what struck me as interesting about it was the the mechanic of frantically trying to solve a puzzle while another player was setting your timer by their roles. Yeah. So you only have as much time as their. In this case, it was purely random because they're just, it was random, and it, the only thing you had any control over was how fast that person rolled the dice and how fast they can do math in their head to whether or not they got a seven. Mm-hmm. But uh, I liked that element. I, mm-hmm. That that I found interesting, like, because it, it set each player up in a very different place. Like, uh, the player, the person who was a couple to my left was next to somebody who was very slow to roll the dice, and so that person got a ton of prizes, because mm-hmm. they were able to, you know, it took longer for the dice to roll. Right. Not only was the guy to my right 
I like this guy, so he won't mind me picking on him. Also, he will never, ever listen to a board game podcast, I imagine. <laughs> the guy to my right uh, rolled pretty quick and hit a seven within two rolls every single time. <laughs> so I was like, I would get it. I would start up here and be like, seven. And I'm like, here you go. And then you didn't get any candy. I did, but only because somebody took pity on me and gave me some from their hoard that they'd accumulated. Yeah. I was thinking about the dice rolling. Mm -hmm. This does not fix the problem of different people doing things at different speeds. In fact, I'm sure it would make it worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you made the just try to roll a seven into a press your luck kind of thing. So maybe you're trying to hit a you need more than two dice. Sure. And you're trying to hit maybe trying to hit a certain value and different different amounts do different things. Mm -hmm. That might be too complex already. But if it were just. If we were just push your luck, yeah. No, it needs to have more more than one value that you can try to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could be like if you can get a hundred with some multipliers or however you decide to make it work, you you pass. If mm-hmm. you can get two hundred, something else happens. If you can get a thousand, the ball moves back to you, <gasps> and you get to start going at it again. If we keep the ball as the puzzle. If we're but just it, saying dice is a timer for a puzzle, you could do a, a load of things with it def- mm-hmm. depending on what the puzzle is. Uh, I mean, I think the puzzle has to be different than the ball because the ball is a one-use thing. And yeah. Then you have to buy another bag of saran wrap. Bag? Roll. <laughs> they come in rolls, not bags. I like the idea of it coming It's all stuck together already. <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, you have to unwad it. And it's like, was this already used on a different <laughs> sandwich? <laughs> this isn't any easier. This, this is, if anything, this is worse. You have to touch all both sides of all of it before you can put it, try to keep your food fresh in it. And who else touched both sides to wad it up How this way? How did it way? get in the bag in that way? Is it this, certainly didn't come out of a machine. Is, that's a handprint. Is this, is this... That's ju- a boot print. Is this just a grocery bag that it's in from a different store that There's I went to? There's a used to? Band-Aid stuck on this. <laughs> Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the idea of making it a push your luck mechanic. So, like, you might push your luck so far, and then you're, you're like, if I can get up to 30, he'll get a penalty. But yeah. then you accidentally, in trying to get to 30, you keep breaking your chain and having to start over, giving him actually more time yeah, I to wonder, do cool stuff. I wonder, if it's since it's working as a timer, does it matter um, if if failing and losing all of your points does does nothing more than make you start over. Mm-hmm. And it probably doesn't. I feel like just you have to start over is probably enough. Have it, so it's push your luck, so it's more engaging than just roll and try to get seven. It's roll right. and try to actually engage with the game pieces in some way to get mm-hmm. an outcome. And if you push your luck too far and fail, you start over at zero. So you'd have to make the, the numbers you're trying to reach high enough that it's not just like, oh, I rolled once and happened to accidentally get 200. And so I just... Right. Exactly the situation you were in before where the guy rolled seven on the first try every time and mm-hmm. you never had to do anything. But yeah. what kind of puzzle can that work with? Because um, I like the idea of you're, you're not just pushing your luck trying to get you know, 500 points means now I pass. I like the idea of like 500 points means it comes back to me. 400 mm-hmm. points means it well, passes well, or what wh- if, whatever it is. What if the puzzle you're trying to solve while the next guy is doing their dice rolling uh-huh. is some kind of, of matching puzzle, maybe with cards or tokens or something, but some kind of building of sets maybe, uh-huh. just to keep it simple for now. And the better you solve, you do on your ro- your rolling part, the more stuff you've got to match with on the next time it comes around to you on the puzzle. Mm. 
So you're not only trying to, so you're, you're balancing. So it's like, suppose I'm doing my puzzle. I'm sol- I'm matching, I'm making sets and whatnot. I'm scoring points, all of that. Uh-huh. And you're rolling dice. You now have two competing uh, things going on for you. You want to minimize the amount of time that I'm spent, I have to do my puzzle because you don't want me to do well. Right. And you, But you also want to roll as high as you can because that means you have more cards in your hand to match with the next time it comes around to you, which is immediately the next thing. As soon as you're done rolling, you'll be the next one to do the puzzle. Oh, I thought it was the other way. Well, either way. The next, either if, it's, if you're the next one or, well, no, because if you, if it moves clock, either, if it, say it moves counterclockwise. Uh-huh around the table if i'm doing my thing if i'm puzzle solving and you're rolling it moves counterclock the dice move counterclockwise from you to the next person gary say uh-huh. and then the puzzle solving goes to you next if you're rolling I'm, i must be misunderstanding this i thought the person so assuming it's moving counterclockwise mm-hmm. i have the puzzle i thought the person on my left oh no we, no i'm sorry it was the person on your right oh i, I, I must okay. have misspoke earlier okay that makes it different mm-hmm and makes my passes back to you comment not make any sense whatsoever. I, I was did, thinking the pers- person with the dice was behind, had just oh, had the puzzle. I gotcha. That's, that is a different puzzle. That might be interesting, too. I hadn't thought of it that way. Now we're on the same page. Yeah. We should have figured that out before the podcast. Yep. We're bad at the end. <laughs> uh, but do you, do you get what I was saying there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that way you've got tension on that player. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. What's the theme? Wizards? Is the theme wizards? Can the theme be wizards? The theme is always wizards. I love wizards. Wizards are the theme. And you're trying to build another different wizard. wizard. (laughs) No, not better. You don't want that. That's true. You never want to make a better better wizard. Never make a better wizard. I love That's a great phrase. (laughs) Unless you're trying to make a better wizard because wizarding is somehow an inherently physical trait. And then you're going to use your wizard powers to transfer your mind into the empty husk of the better wizard that you just made. But that's a, that's a Frankenstein's monster situation waiting to happen. Yeah. It's just, it don't seems, do it. It seems like a bad plan. You don't want to do that. It's bad. So never make a better wizard is the name of the game. Now, hold on. Let me go to, let me, let me go make sure that's the name of this episode. <laughs> Add new episode number. Never make a better wizard. Okay, cool. It's done. Okay, so the dice are ahead. I'm just having to totally rethink all of my ideas now. It makes sense. I just haven't put any thought into it because it's backwards. So the dice are ahead. So that certainly works better because you could say if you hit 100, you can, or whatever, say it's Farkle rules. You're playing Farkle. Mm -hmm. If you hit 100... You get the, you can just cause the thing to pass, but you're going to end up with just whatever cards were left. We need to figure out what the puzzle is to really make this work, but we, you, you just get whatever cards the other guy was working with or whatever the base set of cards is. And mm-hmm. if you want to add more pieces to build your wizard out of or whatever it is that you're doing, you need to hit higher and higher numbers and so now it is a really oppressor luck because you're like how high do i want to go like how good do i think i can make this without just blowing the whole thing mm-hmm. so really i think it might break the puzzle aspect but you could say if you fail you might just get skipped so it's, mm-hmm. it's hurting the person with the puzzle because when you fail their time is up 
So it's not just a timer, but it also hurts you because you just don't get a chance at the puzzle. Or if you do, it's an extremely limited chance. Mm -hmm. Does that work? Kinda, yeah. I mean, you're only hurting yourself there. A little bit. I guess you're hurting the other guy. A little, yeah. It it would need some balancing on the timing of things. So it it adds an interesting second layer of luck pushing Mm -hmm. in that if you push... Again, because we don't know what the puzzle is, but we're I'm making the ins- assumption here that it's do- something to do with pairing cards, like you said, and having more cards to work with is better. Mm-hmm. If you push and end up gaining a lot more cards, that is good because you have more to work with, but also is going to take you more time. So you've also put yourself in a bad position in case the other person... Mm-hmm. The, the person, when it comes to your time with the puzzle, either fails quickly or just shoots for a low number and you don't have a lot of time to work with. Right. So it's like push your luck twice. Push your luck, but also guess what the other next guy is going to yeah. do. But also keep in mind what the guy before you is doing and how good they're doing and that might be bad. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because it becomes a question of not only like, can I push my luck on the dice to get the things I need mm-hmm. and how much time do I think I can complete this puzzle in, but... What are the people on either either side of me going to do as far as are they the type to push their luck or not? But also, are they the type to be aware of what I am doing enough mm-hmm. to decide to try to maybe even sacrifice one of their own turns to screw me over? Right. And are they the type to screw me over? So there, there's all these layers. It becomes a very social game all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. The problem and I... It, with the unwrapping the saran wrap and just throwing dice, the things two people were doing were frantic and simple enough that everyone else could kind of watch and be like, oh, he's almost there, or like, keep pulling yeah. the saran wrap off. If it becomes a l- too too complex, it's too hard for a large group of people to track what's going on. Yes. So if you've got 15 people playing this game at a more complex level, the guy all the way across the table is not going to have any idea what's going on. I think if you get to that level, like, I, I think... There's kind of two ways to think about it. Then one is it should just shrink to a more normal game size. Just kill the party game aspect of it. Or the other idea is just have to skip to the end game where there's two going at once. Mm -hmm. And but make sure that they start opposite each other as far from each other as can be Uh on the ring of people. And that way, hopefully they won't bump. Oh, I like that. So we said the problem with that is depending on the number of people, it give, it gives kind of an advantage, I guess, to the starter with the puzzle, mm-hmm. to the first maybe few with the puzzle. Well, no, I, didn't, I guess it inherently gives... Are, are you saying... So they start across from one another. Mm-hmm. But when the one guy... Does, does Do the dice have to catch up to the puzzle to push it forward? So does the first player get potentially like eight? No, there's two puzzles and two dice. Oh, two puzzles and two dice. I, two was, I, I zoned out for yeah. a second. Sorry. Yeah, so there's always a puzzle next to a dice. I gotcha. And they're, they're just going because you could do some interesting stuff with a different a different but similar game where the the dice and the puzzles or puzzle start on opposite ends but like move in different directions depending on until so like they bounce off one another and that's ah, when things change brain. but it, it 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 has to be a very different game than it is true or someone's gonna sit there with the puzzle for like eight turns and it's gonna be way worse for everyone yeah, else. yeah nobody wants that I feel like given the franticness of the game and the amount of hucking stuff and moving things that you want tokens more than cards mm-hmm. just because they're a little more durable. Agreed. Okay. So we should come up with a puzzle, though. 
Uh, because there also has to be something in place where you just don't you don't just lose if you don't complete the puzzle or win if you manage to complete the puzzle. It has to be something that you're building and mm-hmm. so I, I, I think we probably throw out the puzzle aspect and make it just like this is your time limit on mm-hmm. working with the tools to cr- craft the spell you're trying to cast sure. or whatever it is. So there are a pile of face down tokens in the middle of the board. They mm-hmm. are magic rocks. Mm-hmm. And the more dice you succeed at rolling, whatever that minds up being, so the more dice you're able to chain as you push your luck, uh-huh. uh, the more you're able to grab just raw at the start of your puzzle solving. Okay. Then, once as you that you flip them over as you solve, uh-huh. and you've got the ones you grabbed face up, you're able to flip those over right away. Okay. And uh, you are trying to make triples. Three okay. of a color or three of a shape, we'll go with, just to keep it simple. Okay. So there are purple, black, and gold, and then there's triangles, circles, and spirals. Okay. And you're trying to make three of a color or three of a shape. Then if you've got outliers, you can huck them back into the middle, and then once you've used, solved, you've paired up or grouped up all of the ones you got at the start you started with and put back anything you couldn't work with, you can bring one at a time back and look at it, but then you've got to work, you've got to work with them one at a time after that. So that having that big pool at the beginning, you know, by chaining a lot of dice together, gives you an advantage because you've got more to work with right away. Uh-huh. But you can still keep going for as long as that next person is rolling dice. It's just slower. Okay. So that's a real simple way to go with it. And then that, so then everyone is still, every, that would mean everyone is still playing or only the person behind the dice is going at the slower? There, only, yeah. the, only the person immediately behind the dice is working, is working on, solve, on, on pairing and grouping or grouping up their tokens. Okay. I don't know how fun that is for everybody else, but I'm trying to think like what if rather than just pairing and grouping, it was like you have you're all trying to cast a spell. Maybe there's a thing in the middle that you're trying to either. We'll say gain control of rather than destroy Mm because then it's more competitive and. But you might have a number of different spells you're capable of casting, and Mm -hmm. so your choice of casting is might be, you know, I have a spell over here that I know is going to do a lot of damage for me give me a lot more control over the wizard orb in the middle of the table Mm -hmm. but it takes a lot of spell components to cast whereas i also have these weak little spells that i can cast a bunch of times with the more common elements and then so each player could have a different player board with player board with different but different ones so like if i'm the brown wizard i might have a lot of like earth spells that use dirt and leaves Mm -hmm. but don't have a lot of use for water and bird feathers but you might be an air wizard you know do you see what mm-hmm. i'm saying yeah, yeah yeah and then so so everyone's a little different everyone is has the opportunity to engage with their or at least strategize while they're so, not playing i was gonna say so you're thinking if it's not if if the puzzle and the dice rolling have moved on past me mm-hmm. and i'm i'm free to move my tokens around on my player board trying to figure out which the ones that I you want. have yeah, yeah. The, the 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 like groups that i've made yep and, and decide how I want to use them. Use them well until it comes back around to me. But I don't have infinite time because once it gets to me, I have to roll. I can't futz anymore. Right. I like it. Uh, what about like what? How does so so casting a spell? So suppose I actually get enough groups to cast my um swarm of birds spell. Uh huh. Where a swarm of birds appears. Uh huh. Is that like a an interrupt thing where I go? 
Spell is cast. There would have to be. I was just thinking it's good. It might break the kind of frantic feel of the game a little bit, but it, it might be fine. Well, but it's kind of, it's kind of like what we saw in in the one not dice game. Uh, yeah, where you say not done. Yeah, and then everybody stops and then yeah. you check. Or in Cap- or Captain Sonar too, and it works pretty well in those. Places, yeah, you're right. So I think it would be fine. So I, I think the way to track it then is there's probably a thing you're just moving toward a thing in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may have spells that move you forward more or less, but you may also have ones that move everyone else back. Mm-hmm. So you would have to have either a sort of a um, at the end of each round, you know, when the, when the dice and the person grabbing tokens passes over, mm-hmm. there's a brief like, okay, everyone stop and see what's changed, or just every everyone has to be paying attention. To move their their token forward or backward. Well, I think you're okay, or, or some combination. Of yeah, the two. I think you're okay with that. I, I don't think you need or want a a designated pause every time stuff moves. Yeah, I think you're better off saying that stuff only happens when somebody gets the resources to cast a spell and do something. Right. That way, you've always got that that booming. I am casting a spell to kind of signal yeah. that now yeah. is the time to manipulate the board. I like this game. We should make it. I I think I think it. I actually think we could probably do it pretty easily with, like, it's probably playtestable even with two players mm-hmm. and with even just leftover, uh, um, if, if I just re- paint the old uh, uh, hatchet fight tokens, mm-hmm. we could repurpose them. Yeah, that I, think, wouldn't be, I think we should do it. I think it wants some hefty tokens. I think yeah. you're right about that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's interesting. Well, hopefully no one who's better at prototyping uh, uh, steals this before we get it out. But this started out as just like a a potential idea that we could talk about on the air that may or may not have gone anywhere. I'm sorry, Chip. I love you. Sign my boobies, Chip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chip, you're our only fan. And our only friend. We miss you. Come back. This got weird. I think we're making Chip uncomfortable. I don't think Chip can be uncomfortable. He is just a wonderful human being. You know, I heard that uh, Chip Beauvais once met like a bedraggled, like stray dog. Uh-huh. And so he laid his hands upon that dog's forehead. Yeah. And that dog grew up to be Leonard Nimoy. I was going to go with the, and that dog went on to become something joke, but you beat me to the punch. It wasn't going to be Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. I was going to go with Ronald Reagan, I think, actually. But... Oh, okay. That, that, that's, that is equally funny. Yeah. I, I was tempted to go with that dog went on to become Chip Bove and do the weird recursive <laughs> joke, but I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't sure and if that that's... dog went on to be that weird dog dragon from the never ending story. Ah, 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 is that how it goes? Something like that. I don't know. Well, oh. uh, I'm excited about this game that we should make i have excitement about this gin and tonic that i'm drinking also that so we're gonna go quickly tell you the things that you can do to find us and rate us and whatever so that we don't forget before we write this down how what the game is that we're we recorded it yeah but you know are you gonna listen to it because yeah yeah, i'm gonna listen to it several times but (laughs) uh so we can yes you can i i am gonna listen to it because my sister is gonna insist on listening to it hoping that you do another funny cthulhu rhyme oh this god year. the pressure is on right all right seriously she made me play that for like seven <laughs> times at christmas last year would you like me would you like me to just make a bunch of short cthulhu songs and just put them you can have them in a folder and every year just be like yeah he made another one it was totally this year that he did that <laughs> whatever 
Cool. Well, if you like Cthulhu songs or don't, whatever, we're on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. We're on email at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. We're on website at www.mildlyalarming.com. We're also on facebook.com slash mildlyalarmingshow. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you roll a die and then you roll another die and that die is equal to or greater than the previous die and you keep doing that, as long as you're able to roll a thousand dice without ever rolling under a pre- the previous one, you will be able to talk to us. But if you screw it up, you'll wind up in hell. I hope you have some really big dice. You should probably not use D6s for that. It seems like a bad it's plan. A really bad plan. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. I am good King Wenceslas. No, no, we're not. We're not doing that. <sighs> Fine. Yes, the good King Wenceslas. After I hung up my crown and stopped being Duke of Bohemia, I kind of lost focus for a while. I mean, poor men kept coming in sight, gathering winter fuel, but following them back to their houses is just weird if you're not a monarch, right? That's when I decided to open a restaurant. Good King Wenceslas's Fine Dining. At Good King Wenceslas's, we use only the finest ingredients to bring you an experience that's worth coming a good league hence for. My page here will bring you flesh and bring you wine, all served up with a side of my Good King Wenceslaw. And if you're in the mood for pizza, try our deep and crisp and even dish. One bite and you'll forget all about the rude wind's wild lament. Nobody's going to get that but you. Nobody but you cares about your stupid Christmas carol. Interrupt again and I'll give you a good King Wenceslap. Oh my god. Got a hankering for breakfast? Come on in for a good King stack of pancakes, some good King Wenceslaffles, or a grand King Wenceslam breakfast with two eggs, four bacons, and all the coffee you could want kept warm in my boot prints in the snow. That's another, that's another bit from the song. Not that... Anyone could be expected to know that. Cut me some good King Wences slack before I good King Wences sack you, goodly page. And if you've got a truly royal hunger, get yourself the Feast of Stephen, which is one of literally everything on our menu. Good King Wenceslas's fine dining. Though the frost is cruel, we've got the gruel. Thank God you're here. Oh, I got promoted, Doctor. I'm a general now. But you can still call me Colonel. Right. Well, thank you for coming so quickly. We have a real situation here, and, uh, well... And you uh, need me to kill it. I've got to kill it. Is that correct, Doctor? Yes, that's exactly it. Only this time things are a little different. Doctor, I've killed enormous angry livers, Broadway stars whose lyrics come to life, and a dinosaur named Philip who made everybody sad... All in the name of undoing whatever trouble you science boys caused. I think I can handle whatever's down there. Sure, good. What? Hold on. Yes. Yes. No. Oh, God, no. Yes. 13 Delta 7. Cordwainer. Soup. 
carrot. Who was that? That was uh, Simmons. He says they've cleared 30 feet. The containment hole won't keep them back for long. We have to move fast. You concern me, Doctor. Why don't you tell me all about what happened? I thought you said you could handle it. I can. I just feel like we never talk anymore. Uh, okay. Well, uh, you've heard the 12 days of Christmas, right? I am a patriotic American, Doctor. Christmas is only one day long. No, the the song, like, five golden rings. I believe I've heard Captain Bantam singing that in the barracks, yes. What does it have to do with this facility? Well, we realized that the song contained a quantum-stabilizing oscillation ululation point, or soup for short. This point, if properly contained and subjected to just the right stimuli, could collapse the waveform in the quantum matrix, generating matter from probability. What sort of matter? Well, there's the rub kernel, only matter referenced in the song. But we thought it worthwhile to proceed anyway. Think about it. All the turtle doves you could ever want. More golden rings than you can imagine, pumped out five at a time. Enough milkmaids to milk every teat in the nation until it's raw and chafed. This is the part where you tell me what went wrong. The original paper was written by Dr. Hengelbert Cuspid Yarbsley Slavington III out of Oxford. And, well... It was all in metric, and uh, someone didn't do the conversion right. So when Larry went down and started singing, we only got the result from the eighth day, and we didn't stop getting that result. Remind me again what happens on the eighth day? Lords a-leaping, Colonel. Our facility is currently filling up with English aristocrats, and they're just jumping all over the place. But each generation seems to be able to leap a little further than the one before it. Soon they'll be able to clear the containment devices, and when they do... So let me get this straight, Doctor. Your facility is currently filled with frilly-shirted British noblemen prancing and skipping all over the place, and you need me to go in there and clean them out. That's about the size of it, yes. (laughs) This is the happiest day of my life! Captain Bantam, get my powdered wig and bayonet ready and tell the men to prepare Operation Yorktown. Yes, that's right, I know. I'm very happy too. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. You a patriotic man, Doctor? Well, I was actually born in Germany, so... Never mind that. By the time this is over with, you'll fart bald eagles. Come on, Doctor. We got some lords a-leaping to lords a-lay-a-beating on. And so the doctor and the colonel proceeded to slap around the lords a leaping, which turned out to be unnecessary, because the lords were happy to just go back to England if you asked them nicely. But since there was an endless supply of them, the island of Great Britain tipped over and fell into the sea, which gave rise to the legends of the lost continent of Atlantis. No, it didn't. That's dumb. Quite. (laughs) 